0: This is the first time I've preached in front of people since March. I'm preaching nine hours straight. I hope you packed a snack. Some of y'all are like, that's past my bedtime. You staying up tonight. It's an honor to be back and preach for you. This is our home away from home, Uh, Pastor Bruce, one of my very best friends in the world. Uh, This is my church, Shari is with me, and uh, we're honored to be able to come and and have a part in this series in the book of Philippians, and I just want to say thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being a part. You know, it's um, not always easy to lean in and join God in his work. And in the days that we're living in right now, when so many things are uncertain and so many things are unknown, I'm doubling down on the gospel. I'm doubling down on what Jesus did for me on the cross. I'm I'm tripling down. I'm going all in. I'm sliding all of my chips to the middle of the table and come hell or high water, my money is on Jesus. I'm banking on Jesus. I'm betting on the gospel. The church is going to shine because we know the story, and the story is what we call the gospel, and the gospel changes everything. It's so hard for me right now not to tell you, turn to your neighbor and give them a high five. Do not do that, okay? But what I want us to do is, I want us to lean in uh, emotionally. I want us to lean in spiritually to this passage of scripture from Philippians chapter 3. And if you have a a notebook, if you have your uh, app open, or if you have your phone, go ahead and prepare to follow along. We're going to be looking in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. And the title of this message is simply No Turning Back no turning back. That's what we're gonna call this message as we look in Philippians chapter three, verses 12 through 16. I'm gonna read this for us, uh, those who are watching at home, uh, watching in your bedroom, watching at the kitchen table, watching at the, in the dining room or on your couch. We're gonna see God teach us some things here, so I wanna dive in, because if I'm gonna preach for nine hours, I need to pace myself. Okay, here we go, Philippians chapter three, verse 12. This is Paul continuing his letter to the church in Philippi. Pastor Bruce has already taught us so much about what is going on in this Roman colony, a Roman colony populated by retired Roman soldiers. People moved to Philippi that had money. People moved to Philippi who had uh, influence People that lived there um, knew that there was a, a place for them to live and live out their days. And I've been to Philippi twice. My wife and I visited there just a few years ago on a study tour of the Apostle Paul. And so when I read through the book of Philippians in my mind's eye, I'm thinking about the people that Paul was writing these words to when he says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, But I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Now pause there for just a moment. I want to point out a few things in this verse to you that are worth mentioning. He says that he makes every effort. Now I want to point something out here. The gospel is not about our effort. The gospel is, is the story of what Jesus did for us when, in spite of all of our efforts, we were unable to save ourselves. That's what the good news of the Gospel is. We couldn't get to God, God had to come to us. We couldn't save ourselves, God had to save us. We couldn't fix our problems, Jesus, sent by God the Father, came to fix our problems. But I wanna make sure you understand something. Effort is not a sin. Effort is not wrong. And I want to quote Dallas Willard here. If you are um, spending more time at home and you've got some leisure time to read, just turn off Netflix and read a book. That'll make you a a smarter person. And if you have to choose a Christian book, I would advise you to choose anything written by Dallas Willard, W-I-L-L-A-R-D. Dallas Willard had this one quote about effort that I want to share with you. He says this, Grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Let that sink in for a minute. God's grace is a free gift But when we receive the free gift of the gospel of grace, that doesn't mean that we don't make any more effort. That means that we understand we can't earn his grace. Because you know when something is a free gift, you can't earn it. It was given to you. Someone graced you with that. So we don't have to make an effort to win God's favor, but because we already have his grace, we can make every effort to grab hold of that gift that he's given us in Jesus Christ. So it's not wrong to work. It's just not helpful to work for your salvation because that will never work. So he says it again, not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Now let's go uh, to the next verse. The next verse, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Do you hear what he's saying here? He's not just playing humble pie. He's not being Barney Fife. He's not you know, all shucks in his way through this letter. He really understands that he has a long way to go. He knows that he's not perfect. He knows he will never be perfect, but he is attempting to respond to God's grace by taking hold of the gift that's been given him. So when he knows and understands he can't win God's favor or earn God's favor, he can only receive it by grace, he says there is one thing I will do. And watch it right here. But one thing I do, one thing. Can I pause here for a moment? Think to yourself right now where you're sitting at home, what is the one thing that you will do every day no matter what happens? What is the one thing that you prioritize? What is the one thing that you will not live without? For some of you, um, it is a workout. You're going to Work out, you're gonna to go to CrossFit, you're gonna to go to yoga, you're gonna go lift weights, you're gonna go run, you've gotta do it because you're addicted to it and you're hardcore like that. For others of you, it's a cheeseburger. You're on the opposite end of the spectrum. You're gonna eat a cheeseburger every day if it kills you, and it will. You're, you're, there are some things that, that we're just not gonna miss. I will tell you my one thing, the one thing I do, I wake up every morning and I have a routine when I'm home of course, I haven't been traveling at all since March, but when I'm home, I have a routine. I wake up in the morning, and this is the one thing I do. I drink a big glass of water right after I take a shot, not watered down, not mixed with anything else, a shot of straight from the bottle, apple cider vinegar with the mother. And some of y'all are like, what is this man talking about? If you know you know, okay? I I promise you it works. That's how I got this luscious head of hair. This is one thing I do, water, apple cider vinegar, and the strongest cup of black coffee a man can make. I'm gonna do that unless I have called a fast or unless Jesus himself has appeared to me with nail scars in his hands telling me, don't drink coffee today. It's a priority for me. You know what Paul prioritizes? This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Can can we pause here for a moment? What is he forgetting that's behind him? Let's dig into Paul's mentality for a minute. What is he every single day having to decide to make every effort to let go of? What is he every single day having to choose to forget about his past? What is it that keeps him awake at night? What is that thing that pops back up into his head when he's got a few minutes to himself? Because we've all got that thing. Everybody in this room, everybody in your room, everybody at your house, you. You've got this one thing in your life that you have to believe and trust God has forgiven you for and you've gotta put it behind you for getting it. And what that thing is for you is different than what that thing is for me. But I'm telling you, I believe for Paul, the one thing he had to put behind, the one thing he had to forget, the one thing he had to leave in the rearview mirror is the fact that he was responsible for murdering the first Christian martyr. You can read about it in the book of Acts. Paul, also known as Saul, Saul was his Jewish name, Paul was his Greek name, also some believe his converted name. He was a zealot for Judaism. When Christianity began to spread, Saul decided he was going to shut that thing down. So what did he do? He had a young man who was full of the Holy Spirit and power, a young man by the name of Stephen. He had him brought before the Sanhedrin. They charged him with crimes against the temple, with blaspheming God. He gave a defense for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He called out the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, and the teachers of the law, and they got so angry at him, they drug him outside the city, and they stoned him to death while they laid their outer garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, while Saul gave approval to his death. So I want you to know right now as I'm diving into this message that when Paul says, I have got to forget some things, the one thing I'm gonna prioritize, the one thing I'm gonna do, the one thing that I will not miss, that I have to do every single day, the one thing I have to forget is my past that is tainted with the blood of a dead brother in Christ and I killed him. Satan likes to get historical and make you and I hysterical. The enemy likes to throw back up in your face things that you did before you met Jesus. And if that's not effective, then here's what Satan will do. He'll throw things up in your face that you have done since you've met Jesus. And if that's not effective, I'm preaching to somebody right now, if that's not effective, Satan will throw up in your face something that you did today that nobody was aware of. And if that's not effective, he'll get up in your brain and he will convict you and make you feel guilty about thoughts that you've had, not even words that you said, just thoughts, insecurities, jealousies, anger, resentment, unforgiveness, reliving mistakes from college or the beach trip you took when you were a senior in high school or that party that you went to or that really terrible mistake that you made that time on that business trip or that link you clicked on on your phone, on social media, when you were in your bedroom by yourself at night with the door closed and you thought mom and dad were asleep. Satan will throw those things back up in our face. He likes to get historical to make us hysterical. But can I just say this right now? No matter what that thing is that you need to forget, no matter what that thing is that you need to put behind you, I don't think it's quite as bad as murder. And that's what Paul had to forget about. That's what Paul had to put in the rearview mirror. That's what Paul had to listen, make every effort to hold on to. He had to make every I'm talking like hanging on the edge of a cliff. I'm talking like Tom Cruise doing a stunt during one of his latest movies where he's hanging on the outside of a jet airplane while it's taking off. Did you see that one? He really did that stunt. Tom Cruise is a nut. That's another sermon for another time. I'm talking like Paul is Tom Cruise hanging off the edge of an of a airplane taking off. I'm gonna die if I let go. So I'm taking hold of it and I'm not going to give up. He is, I'm Guys, ladies, listen to me. There is a grace that is released from the power of the gospel in the life of a believer. When we choose like the apostle Paul, I told y'all, I haven't preached to anybody since March. When we choose like the apostle Paul to say, God's grace is so much bigger than that thing in my past. I'm gonna choose to believe it even if I don't feel like it. I'm I'm gonna hang on to it. I'm gonna grab hold of it and you can't pry it out of my cold dead fingers. And if you haven't ever gotten that desperate, you need to get that desperate. If you haven't ever been plagued by the memories of sins you've committed, if you haven't ever heard the voice of the accuser, yeah, 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 nipping at your heels, tempting you to think you're not a Christian because of something that's already forgiven under the blood of Jesus, then you need to to just, just wade out into those waters and feel the grace of God give you the power to to take hold, to grab hold for dear life. So here's what he says. One thing I do, why is that his priority? Because I believe every single day he heard that voice in the back of his head. You killed Stephen. You murdered the first Christian martyr. You brought a charge against him. You yelled out encouraging words. Throw the rock harder, aim for his head. Don't quit until he stops breathing. Split his skull wide open. Friends, when I read what Paul says about forgetting the past and reaching towards what is ahead, I know there is hope for me and there is hope for you. You are not alone. You are not condemned. You are not weird and odd and different and strange. You're a human being just like me. You're a Christian just like me who is trying by the grace of God every single day to let the gospel keep changing everything about my life. I've got some more verses to get to. Y'all good, are we good? We good? Okay, we got about eight hours and 40 minutes left. Here we go. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God, We'll reveal this also to you in verse 16. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Let me explain that to you and then I'll make a few points and we'll be done. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. He's just mentioned maturity, And now he says, we are accountable to live up to whatever truth we have attained. What does that mean? It means that I've been walking with Jesus for 35 years. So there is a level of intimacy I should have with Jesus that I would not expect someone who just got baptized at Biltmore right here today to have. It means that God has grace for you if you're a new believer or if you're a struggling believer. If, if you grew up in a home with a mom and a dad who never fought and always went to church and tied 37.2% and, you, and they were just great parents and you've been walking with Jesus all these years, don't compare your walk with Jesus to someone who grew up in a home where maybe they were abused or neglected and they never went to church and they didn't get saved until later in life. They may have a tougher time understanding that the gospel changes everything. That's why Paul says, those of us who are mature, we understand this. But some of us aren't that mature. Remember, the gospel's brand new, people. This is Philippians. This is the city of Philippi. Jesus has only been resurrected from the dead for less than a generation. There are people around the world who still not heard anything about the gospel. So when a person gave their life to Jesus, especially if they came out of Judaism, that means they believe Jesus is the Messiah, which put them at odds with all the Jews. If they came out of paganism or if they were a Gentile and they came to faith in Christ. This was a brand new way of living. So here's what he says. Just live up to whatever truth you've attained, but keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. The gospel has grace for you right where you are. I've got 17 minutes and 14 seconds to make a few points. So get ready to write. Are you ready? We looked at the scripture. Now we're gonna uh, learn a little bit and apply some of this to our own lives. Here we go. First point, write this down. I think this will be helpful for you. There's no future in the past. There's no future in the past. And what do I mean by that? Well, what Paul is trying to explain to us and what he was trying to explain to them then is that we can choose to live in the past but there's really no future there. I was thinking about this today as Shari and I, were, were driving up uh, 25 and then we get on 26, we come to Asheville. And uh, by the way, they're working on I-26. I, they're, they're widening the highway after 46 years. I'm so happy that our tax dollars are doing something. Um, I was thinking about this today and I was thinking about, man, if, if 2020 was a movie, it would be arachnophobia, because I hate spiders. (laughs) And 2020 has just not been a great year for a lot of us. And I was thinking about this today on on the ride up here. Shari was on the phone with a friend of hers. They're leading a trip to Israel together, an all women's trip, and she's talking to to her friend. And and I'm thinking, man, I would give anything to go back to 2019 right now. Because for me, 2019 was the best year of my life. It really was. There were so many wonderful things that happened last year. Um, the big thing for me was that I found my biological family. I am adopted and never knew anything really about my, my mother who delivered me or my father or any any of that. Uh, I was able to locate my biological family. I found out that um, my dad, my biological father, died in 2017, uh, my mom in 2016. But I found out some really cool stuff. I have a, a sister named Paige and I love her and she's awesome and she's got a little boy and he's really sweet and I have a relationship with her now. I found out that in uh, 1990, I went to the Johnsonville, South Carolina High School prom with a girl named um, um, April Tanner and did not know at the time that she was my third cousin. And I found that out in, in 2019. Thank you, Jesus, I did not kiss her. I didn't, I did not kiss April Tanner. I did not kiss my cousin at the prom which is a blessing from God. So I found that out in 2019. I found out in, two, I mean, 2019 was such a great year. Um, my gallbladder died on me in like, all of a sudden just died. And I had my gallbladder removed right before um, we went uh, on some big trips. Uh, my wife and I got to take a sabbatical. We got to go to Italy for a month. We've never had a sabbatical. It's our 20th anniversary. Got my gallbladder removed, saved my life right before we go to Italy. Thank God I did not have my gallbladder removed in a foreign country. I, I mean, it was just a great year. I, I lost some weight after the gallbladder was removed. I got really healthy. Um, found out that I um, I married my sixth cousin. I did, Shari's my sixth cousin. And she's right there. And some of y'all are like, wait a minute, is that legal? Yes, it doesn't even really count. It was 1798, long, long story. Found out that we're actually distantly, 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 totally cool, not weird at all cousins from 1798. Aren't you glad that you're watching my sermon right now? I mean, 2019 was just a great year for me. So you know what I keep thinking? Every time the COVID numbers spike, or every time I read more bad news, I'm looking at our country and it seems to be so divided in so many ways. You know what I keep thinking? Man, I wish I could go back to 2019. What a good year that was for me. 2020 has been a challenge, probably gonna continue to be a challenge for me, for our country. Wow, I wish I could go back to 2019. But it's not that simple, because there's no future in the past. You ever looked at pictures of yourself when you were going through puberty? You ever looked at pictures of yourself when you were 12? Like, headgear and braces? Some of y'all women, you got pictures in your house of you in the sixth grade, and you have got a PhD hairdo. Piled high and deep. PhD, I'm talking bangs to Mars. You used so much hairspray in middle school that you're the one that put a hole in the ozone layer. That is why the earth is so hot. You did it. I've got pictures of myself from 1986. I've got a mullet. And I'm telling you, I could grab, my mullet was so long, I could grab my mullet and mullet whip you from across the room with it pull it right back and you wouldn't even know what hit you. I'm talking like, wow, my parents would never let me have Michael Jack- a Michael Jackson jacket. I wanted one, so what they did is they bought me a members only jacket. I got, pic- I, man, i look back at those old pictures. I must've been the last member of the club, last one. You look back at old pictures and you're like, what, what was I doing? What was I thinking? What was I wearing? Wow, I was skinny. Like, right? We look back at pictures like that. But we all know this intuitively. You can't go back. Time moves one way. This is what Paul's trying to say to us in Philippians chapter 3. The gospel is always forward moving. Because the gospel took care of your past. The gospel says your sins are forgiven. The gospel says that terrible thing that you remember, God forgets. The gospel says you blame yourself when God has already exonerated you. The gospel says even though the devil may call you guilty as he bangs down his gavel on his desk in hell, Jesus is saying innocent as he bangs down his gavel on his heavenly desk because he took our place on the cross. There is no future in the past, so quit living there. That might be a word for somebody right now. That might be a word for you right now. If you spend as much time living in the present moment as you do reliving the past that you can't control or change, you'd be a different person. There is no future in the past. Number two, let's make this point, and Paul makes his point. There's no change without the gospel. There's no change without the gospel when Paul remembered what it was like to hear rocks bounce off the flesh of Stephen in Jerusalem just a few years earlier, he knew in his heart the only way he could ever be changed was the power of the gospel, the good news. And so we can change the outside, but real true inner change only happens from God. It's one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot with the world we're living in the season that we're living in so many people have put a lot of effort into their yards and we have a we have a nice yard at our house and we do some of the work and Uh, Tomorrow, we've got somebody coming over to do a little bit, and our son, he's 14 years old, uh, was just notified today by his mother, uh, my wife, that he was gonna help in the yard tomorrow because you know that's what children are supposed to do. They're supposed to work. It's not child abuse to work. And I know that if you're a kid watching this right now, you might think it's your God-given right to sit in the house all day in front of an air conditioning vent, drinking soda and eating chips and playing on your phone. And I just want you to know that I grew up in the 1900s where we walked uphill both ways, barefooted, naked in the snow in July, fighting off grizzly bears, polar bears, and all sorts of tomfoolery and skullduggery. And we ate gravel for breakfast and we were thankful to have something. Okay. So I'm just going to throw that out there for you. But so many of us, um, because we've had the time, we've got our yards looking good, and we planted some shrubs and some azaleas, and you've got roses, and some of y'all are into gardens now, and you've got raised beds. And somebody asked me recently, are you going to plant a garden? I'm like, look, I grew up on a real farm. I buy my food at the grocery store, (laughs) because I had to do that when I was a kid. And we've done a lot of work on the outside. Wouldn't it be terrible if we spent this season working on the exterior of our houses, but we didn't work on the relationships in our homes. In the same way, if you've got enough money, you can change the way you look on the outside. You can go to a tanning bed, you can spray it on, rub it on, lather it on. You can go get liposuction, you can get Botox in your lips, you can go to the gym and work out, and you can get jacked and swole, no cap. I mean, somebody knows what I'm talking about. You got enough money? Now you you can get a new haircut, a new style, a new fashion, but the only real true lasting change, the kind that we need on the inside to make us better people, more patient, more kind, more loving, more understanding, more graceful, the kind of person that wants to help someone in need, the kind of change that we need to make us the kind of person that doesn't jump on Facebook and attack other people because they don't share our politics, but instead gives us a heart to ask questions about why people feel a certain way. That kind of change doesn't come out of a bottle or a Botox clinic. Can't get that from a CrossFit workout. Can't get that from Keto or intermittent fasting or Weight Watchers. Real true change on the inside only comes from the gospel. That's what this series is about. The gospel changes everything. The gospel restores broken marriages. The gospel allows us to forgive people who have offended us even if they're dead and we can't tell them we forgive them. The gospel allows you to be patient with your children even though they are driving you crazy. The gospel allows you to obey your parents even though you think their rules are stupid. The gospel tells you get up out of bed 20 minutes early and spend some time with Jesus and your day will be a whole lot better plus you will have spent time with Jesus. The gospel gives real change. And listen, there is no change without the gospel. Not real change. And then the third point I'd like to make, there's no condemnation in Christ. Paul unpacks that here in this passage. He also says the exact same words in Romans 8.1. There is now therefore no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. And I want you to hear this, Biltmore, that when you sin, if you are in Christ, he does not condemn you. He does not criticize you. I wrote this in my notes. Let me, let me see if I can say it this way. Uh, the gospel makes us better because it coaches us, it corrects us, and it cares for us. It does not condemn us. I'll say it again. The gospel coaches us. The gospel corrects us. The gospel cares for us. So anytime Jesus says to Clayton, hey, Clayton, don't. He's not trying to steal something from me. He's trying to protect me from pain. So anytime God says don't, what he's really saying to me is don't hurt yourself. And so that change that happens on the inside sometimes comes when we're corrected. So when you mess up, hey, look, I'm not the preacher. If you've ever heard me preach before, you know, And Pastor Bruce and I talk about this a lot. I'm not the preacher that gets up on stage and says, everybody's fine, it's all okay, we're all gonna go to the same place, there's a big loving God somewhere out there, and if you just do the best you can, you're all. I don't believe that at all. The Bible teaches something very, very differently. What I'm talking about right now is that for a Christian, if Jesus is in you, I want you to know your condemnation that you were under before you met Jesus is over and done. It's gone, it's never coming back. God does not condemn you. How dare you condemn yourself? God does not criticize you, so stop criticizing yourself. God does not hate you, so don't hate yourself. And when you mess up, don't be like the little puppy that goes and hides up under a table. When you mess up, don't be like the little kid that is crying because they spilt the milk. When you mess up, fess up. When you mess up, fess up. When you mess up, fess up, and then get up. Is anybody gonna say amen? Because. I really worked hard to deliver that to you. When you mess up, fess up and get up because you're not condemned. Forgetting what is behind, I take hold of the prize that is before me, this heavenly gift of Jesus Christ. But there's one more thing that we need to nail down in the time that we've got left and it's simply this. There's no such thing as perfection but there is a thing called progress. One thing I do Not that I have already obtained, not that I have already taken hold of it. I mean, Jesus took hold of me, and the only way I can take hold of Him is because I'm responding to the fact that He took the first move, that He made the first step, but I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where I need to be. People, I'm not where I need to be. 35 years following Jesus, I'm not where I need to be, but praise God, I'm not where I used to be. I'm moving forward. I'm making progress. I'm not gonna be perfect. And I, and I don't, look, for real. Some of y'all are into the Enneagram. I understand a little bit about it. My wife understands it. She teaches on it sometimes. And, and so some of you, whether you, you've done any kind of personality test, you're like, well, I'm a one on the Enneagram. I'm a perfectionist. I'm a reformer. Uh, just want you to know, I'm not. I'm not a perfectionist. I'm a rule breaker, not a rule keeper. You give me a rule, I'm gonna break it. And then I'm gonna rely on God's grace. <laughs> just how I'm wired. So for some of us, this will be a little bit more challenging. For others of us, we're like, praise God. But wherever you are on the personality scale that God gave you, I want to let you off the hook tonight. The gospel changes everything, and one of the major things it changes is our perspective that we have to achieve perfection. Let the gospel wash over you and blow that out of your life. Let the gospel purify you from your attempt to be perfect. You can't. You won't. You never will. But what you can do is you can make progress. You can forget what is behind and take hold of what is ahead. You can make progress. You haven't read your Bible in six weeks. Guess what? The sun will come up tomorrow. That's where I'm going to stop. Don't worry. Get up and read your Bible tomorrow morning. You haven't prayed, not one time, since quarantine, since COVID, guess what? You can pray right now. Some of you have never tithed, ever. And you worry about money all the time. Do you know that you don't have to worry about money anymore? You can decide right now, I'm gonna tithe. I'm gonna give 10% of what I make to God's house so that ministry can take place. It's your choice. It's your choice. Here's what I've learned in my life, and some of you have probably learned this, that if you are always aiming for perfection, it's actually kind of a way to cheat out of progress. Because if you're saying, well, I'll never be perfect, I'll never lose 40 pounds, I'll never run a marathon, then you can get yourself off the hook. When really, it's not about losing 40 pounds, it's about losing five pounds or giving up soda and drinking more water. It's not about running a marathon, it's about taking a walk. It's not about memorizing the book of Leviticus. Who does that? It's about reading five verses in the Gospel of John tomorrow morning. It's not about praying and fasting for 40 days, it's about praying for four minutes tomorrow. So quit setting up perfection as the goal and focus on progress. The gospel really does change everything. Oh, and one more thought before I pray with you. When I think about perfection versus progress, when I realize I can't be perfect but I don't have to because Jesus was perfect in my place, it reminds me of the real proof of our salvation. The real proof of your salvation is not what happened Back then, at VBS or summer camp or college at Campus Crusade or InterVarsity, the real proof of your salvation is not that you prayed a prayer and walked the aisle and got baptized 20, 30, five years ago, whatever it happens to be. The real proof of progress is not that I'm perfect. The real proof is not what happened. The real proof is what's happening right now. Am I convicted when I sin? Does the Holy Spirit stop me in my tracks? Do I feel a warning in my spirit before I do something wrong? Am I growing in grace towards other people? Is my initial response to jump on social media and let everybody know my opinion about something, or is my initial response to go, hold up, wait a minute, I need to. I'm a, I got a few seconds left, let me just go ahead and get, get into business right now. Uh, instead of me saying what my opinions are, maybe I should ask a black person what it's like to be black in the South. Because I'm white, I don't know. So before I start believing conspiracy theories, maybe I need to let the Holy Spirit make some progress in my life. And maybe I need to ask an ethnic minority or an African-American sister or brother, not just what's it like to to be raised black in the South, but would you come to my home and have dinner with me because I wanna be your friend. Because when we go to heaven, you're gonna be black and I'm gonna be white and we're gonna be in eternity forever. So why can't we go ahead and be friends down here right now before we get to heaven? Y'all can clap right now if you want to. You can say amen if you want to. Even if you don't want to, you ought to. I will never be perfect. I don't have to. I just need to make progress, and I can because of the gospel. The gospel changes everything. Well, I've had a good time preaching to you, Biltmore. And I'm a little bit short of nine hours. But I believe the Spirit has spoken to his people. And I want to pray for you right where you are. Could you close your eyes and just open your hearts with me? Right where you are in your home watching on your phone, maybe driving down the road, maybe you're going to the beach or the mountains or the lake. I have no idea where you are. But I want to invite you right now, if this message has spoken to your heart, and if during this message you have sensed that the Holy Spirit has really pinpointed something in your life that, that maybe you need to let him change, I want to pray for you right now. i going to pray for you. Lord, I want to pray for the person right now that senses your presence in this message. And I want to pray that they would give that thing to you, that they would just lay it down in front of you from their past, that mistake, that sin, that struggle, that thing they've wrestled with for a long time. Help them lay it down and give it to you right now, realizing that the gospel changes them and it frees them from that burden. And hey, with your eyes closed right where you are, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus and You've never let the gospel change you at all. And you want to do that right now. You want to be saved. You want to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you would like to do that, if you would like to ask Jesus to change everything in you with the power of the gospel, pray this to Him right now, right where you are, wherever you are watching this online. Just pray this to Jesus, watching it right here in the room, wherever you are. You know if the Holy Spirit's drawing you to Christ. just, Just pray pray this to him. Jesus, I need you. I need your grace. I confess my sin. I invite you in. Take control of my life. Save me and make me new. I'm following you now, Jesus. I'm all yours. Hey, with your eyes closed and your hearts open, if you did just pray that prayer to Jesus, or you need someone to pray for you, would you let us know? Just uh, at some point, you can do it right now, if you want to, just text the word FOLLOW on your phone to 28282, it's that simple. If you just pray to receive Christ, or if you're a Christian but you need someone to help you, pray with you, help care for you, help you take your next step, just take out your phone and text the word FOLLOW to 28282. And we'd love to help you take your next step. Jesus, thank you for what you have done today and what you are doing at Biltmore. Thank you that the gospel changes everything. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.